0: Hi everyone, Heather here. Today's episode is going to reference violence, sexual assault of some deeply upsetting natures, and slavery. If you are not in a place to be able to hear about these things, I'll suggest that you look at our previous episodes, especially that last one with the warm and cozy Regency lesbians. With that, we're going to go ahead and get started. Stripped of his title, his rank, his birthright, Damon is sold to the prince of an enemy nation as a slave. He has no choice but to submit to the whims of his new master, whatever they may be, all the while looking for a way to return home. No one can help him now, except perhaps the man who holds the leash. I'm Heather Songster, and this is Hopelessly Romantic. Welcome back, readers and romance seekers, to another episode. Today, our reading adventure brings us to Captive Prince by C.S. Picot. I'll say that this was an interesting read. I was certainly left with more than a few complicated feelings about it, but it also brought up the importance of context where literature is concerned. But before we get into all of that, let's get to know our author. Picot was born in Australia, and while working as a translator, she wrote the novel that we're looking at today. From the best of my knowledge, she isn't a romance author the way that we've come to know them in the mass market paperback world, but I did pick up Captive Prince while perusing the romance section. One other thing to note that Picotte is very much a queer writer. As far as I can figure, Picotte will use she, her pronouns as well as he, him. I'm going to use the feminine pronouns for now, but if someone has more up-to-date info on which pronouns that Picotte is using, please let me know, drop me a line, and I will correct it. That queer identity can be seen throughout their novels. Uh, she's written a graphic novel series, the Glad Award-nominated Fence. Once upon a time, I was a fencer back in college, and I might want to check this out. And Captive Prince holds true to this theme as our two main characters are both men. I use the term main characters, like the plural kind of loosely, because we only really get the perspective from one person. And honestly, Captive Prince wasn't what I expected at all. The edition that I'm holding in my hands was probably produced in 2015, and the branding has changed since then. It does make me wonder how long this was sitting on the shelf in that bookstore. This cover is pretty straightforward. Uh, The text denoting the title and author's name, it dominates, with only a small little line image of a regal roaring lion next to the word Prince. The rest of the cover is simply a faded image of a brick wall, suggesting that it kind of looks like it belongs to a large castle. There are no other images, so one might call it a very plain cover. We might remember how I bemoaned the plain cover of Maya Banks' Just One Touch, but I don't feel the same animosity here. Unlike Just One Touch, I genuinely feel as though thought was put into this cover. It at least gives us an impression of oppressive royal walls, which are very on point for our novel's theme. Like I mentioned at the beginning, I don't think I had the right context when I originally picked up Captive Prince. When I read that back blurb, I thought that we might have a Sleeping Beauty situation on our hands. If you're not familiar with it, Anne Rice, yes, the Vampire Lady, wrote an erotic trilogy based around the fairy tale of Sleeping Beauty. A lot of shenanigans go on in those books and could be deeply uncomfortable for someone who might take it at face value. The titular character, Beauty, is essentially conscripted to become a pleasure slave for the queen of a neighboring kingdom. A lot goes on during those novels, but it, it can get some dubious hand waving thanks to the fairy tale element of that story. What happens is that we are completely transported out of our reality and placed into a world where it is totally normal for a king and queen to allow their 16 year old daughter to be carted off to become a pleasure slave right after she's been woken up by a curse when the breaker of said curse did it by having sex with her. Oh, God, man, when I say it out loud like that, it really makes the Sleeping Beauty books sound absolutely fucked up. I mean, they are, but again, context. Oh, hang on, hang on. Uh, I actually had to just do a quick fact check. Had to open up my copy of Sleeping Beauty to confirm her age, and oh, I was wrong. She's not 16. She's 15. So it's even more cursed if it wasn't cursed before. And I'm just gonna tell you all now but uh fifteen is not the youngest character we're gonna run in today, so just just know that's gonna pop pop up very briefly. But it is that mindset that I took with me into Captive Prince, and I kinda wish I hadn't, because I kept making these mental comparisons, especially with what I should be expecting. To get us started, our main character and the point of view character is Damon, Warrior Prince of Aculos, heir to the throne. However, his half-brother, Castor, staged a coup, and essentially sold Damon as a pleasure slave to the enemy kingdom of Ver, specifically to their crown prince, Laurent. The big point here is that no one in Ver, as far as we can tell, knows who Damon is. They present him as a gift for better relations between the two countries with the joke nickname of the deceased prince Damianos, specifically intended to serve Prince Laurent. What makes this dangerous is that Damon killed Laurent's older brother in battle and would sorely love the opportunity to take revenge. Thankfully, Laurent doesn't know what Daemon looks like, but Daemon still has to tow that very dangerous line. Taking a wider look at her setting, slavery is commonplace in both Vera and Aculos, but their approach is very different. For starters, in Vera there seems to be a difference between pet and slave I'm not sure where the line is exactly, but I think it has to do with a slave status, or maybe even with their designated duties. No matter the distinction, however, these were all men for the most part in Vare. Apparently in Vare, getting a woman pregnant outside of woodlock is the worst of all social taboos, so if men want to have sex, they turn to their male partners. And their slaves. It also appears as though that they're very hard on their slaves, whipping them, beating them into obedience, which is just fantastic. Aculos, on the other hand, takes great care with their slaves with a sort of mutual contract between owner and slave. The slaves have a very intensive training program and the slaves needs are all taken care of, carefully attended, and in return they offer complete obedience to their owner or master. It doesn't matter how you slice it though, this is still slavery we're talking about. But again, that's why we have to establish our context, and that's why I took the time to describe the differences between Ver and Aculos where their slaves are concerned. This is a world that embraces slavery, and we have to accept that if we want to engage with the story. Ver's treatment of slaves is constantly being evaluated by Damon. While he wasn't trained as such in Aculos, as the future king, he had to have at least had some knowledge of how the arrangement worked. He had slaves of his own, even, who unfortunately lost their lives during the coup. One of the slaves was described as so sweetly obedient that she would have gladly allowed herself to be exposed to the knife that killed her had he commanded it. And I'm not sure how I feel about this description, especially when Damon chastises the treatment of slaves in Ver. He says that they deeply care for their slaves in Aculos, but do they really when a woman wouldn't attempt to save herself in the face of death no matter what her master commanded? I don't know, the setup makes me uncomfortable. Turning back to those Sleeping Beauty comparisons that I was talking about, we have Prince Laurent, one of the reasons that I had trouble separating this novel and the Beauty trilogy in my mind. Laurent is the name of the prince that Beauty befriends and falls in love with in the third book, so that fact kept my mind returning to Sleeping Beauty. Laurent is described as cold by more than a few characters, ice cold even, usually accompanied with the joke that he doesn't really bed anyone. And he also himself says it as much that he doesn't lie with swine. When Damon is presented with Laurent in full view of the court, it's clear that they're not going to have a smooth start. "'What's your name, sweetheart?' said Laurent, not quite pleasantly. He knew better than to answer any question posed in that saccharine voice. He lifted his eyes to Laurent's. "'That was a mistake.' They gazed at each other. Perhaps he is defective, suggested Guyan. Pellucid blue eyes rested on his. Laurent repeated the question slowly, in the language of Aculos. The words came out before he could stop them. I speak your language better than you speak mine, sweetheart. His words, carrying only the barest trace of an Aculan accent, were intelligible to all, which earned him a hard blow from the handler. Damon is taken away, beaten, and then put to bed, and then later is presented to Laurent again, but this time privately. Laurent is trying to figure out why the King of Aculus decided to send him a slave, one who was untrained, and, as far as Laurent knew, a punished soldier. Damon knows that to tell the truth would be his last word, so he's got to be very careful. We are now also introduced to Laurent's uncle, the Regent of Vere, no name as far as I can see. He insists that Laurent take on the gifted slave properly, as intended, so as not to insult the king of Aculos and thus violate their very shaky treaty. He pops up from time to time, and it becomes increasingly clear that there is a power struggle between the two of them. Damon needs to keep a close watch on their relationship, because if he's not careful, he is going to get caught between their swords. Despite the beatings, Damon isn't treated badly, not exactly. He gets delicious food, a soft bed, beautiful quarters, all made sour by the chain around his neck. He knows that he has to conserve his strength in order to be able to escape, so he has to watch, observe, and carefully approach the problem of his captivity. This is where I would expect the relationship between Laurent and Damon to build. Damon has to earn his way into Laurent's favor, and Laurent has to put on a regal face for the court and his uncle. I would have guessed that they would eventually have to work together, or at least stop outright hating the side of each other, but mostly their relationship is cold, hard, and pretty adversarial. Damon is essentially subjected to the whims of the Bitter Prince, and there's nothing he can do about it. I want to take a look back at another novel that we read, Pretty Little Lion. For that novel, my biggest critique was that it was labeled as romance, where it could have benefited from a change of genre. Captive Prince suffers the same problem, I think, but it's complicated with some of its content. As an example, early in his captivity, Damon is brought to a sporting event, wrestling to be exact, fought by provided slaves. However... Damon realized what was happening in front of him, as every whisper he had heard in Acolos, of the depravities of the Veritian court began unfolding before his eyes. The brunette was on top, his knee forcing the blonde's thighs open. The blonde was trying desperately to throw him off, and it wasn't working. The brunette held the blonde's arms behind his back and scrabbled, humping ineffectually. And then he was in, smooth as entering a woman, though the blonde was struggling. The blonde had been prepared. The blonde let out a cry and tried to buck his captor off, but the motion only drove him deeper. Damon's distress at the realization that the blonde slave had been, quote, prepared, was for very good reason. Because before he had been brought to the event, he had also been, shall we say, anointed with oil in very particular places. The term rape is used here, by Damon, once he realized the purpose of the wrestling match. Again, he thinks of his homeland where the charms of the slaves, as he calls them, were to be enjoyed in private, not in public display for the court. And his fears are realized when he is dragged into the ring himself at Laurent's order. The slaves that had been the feature moments ago weren't terribly imposing figures, but Damon's new opponent could be described as a giant mass of muscle with a face that has met many fists. While Damon is adept as a fighter, the odds don't look good for him, especially when Damon figures out that the incense he was exposed to earlier acted as a drug that dulled, among other things, his reaction time. For a moment, it looks like he's going to lose this fight, and then we're going to have to read about our main hero getting forcibly raped. Thankfully, Damon manages to weasel his way out of the brute's grip, and he even wins that fight, knocking the guy out. Well, I say win, but for the courtiers of Vare, winning means that the victor essentially mounts his opponent, and they aren't thrilled with the fact that a slave from the enemy country just bested one of their bigger warriors, and are less thrilled when Damon rejects his spoils of victory. However, Damon does prostrate himself to Laurent, dedicating his victory to the prince. And all the high-powered jackasses are like, Wow, he was a complete menace three days ago. Wonderful job making him such an obedient dog. And that's when we get the stomach-turning introduction to a character named... Okay, I have no idea how to pronounce this. Niswa? Nikase? It's spelled N-I-C-A-I-S-E. He's 13 the pet slave of one of the courtiers, and he is presented to Damien as a reward to perform for the delight of the court. And I'm going to hurl right over here. Niswa, I guess, is what I'm going to go with. He's a dangerous character in a number of ways. He has his own power. Not a lot of it, but he has it. And when Damien rejects him... He makes it his mission to make Damon's life either miserable or forfeit. This isn't a romance so much as that it's a political power play between multiple characters. There's a lot going on, and a lot of it is not consensual. A gut wrenching example is made when Damon comes across another slave taken from Achelous, named Erasmus. Damon can see how wonderful Erasmus is in moments, and how he would have been prized back in his homeland. Instead, he was gifted to the Regent of Vare. Damon could see that, had things turned out differently, he himself would have had the pleasure of keeping Erasmus for himself. As Damon listens to Erasmus' story, they're interrupted by the brute that Damon defeated in the arena. The thug, Govart, is sore that not only he lost the match, but also a fuck, as he so delightfully puts it. Decides that he'll enjoy Erasmus, since it's clear that Damon has taken a shine to him. We don't see it, but Erasmus is basically dragged off to be raped by this sad excuse of a brute. And if that wasn't hard enough to witness, we had only pages before this moment, we'd watched Damon experience another violation. There was an air of unreality about what was happening. Ansel's master was delineating the encounter. The slave would be tied up, and Ansel would use his mouth. Vanes protested that it was so rare for the prince to agree to a performance, they should make most of it. Ansel's master would not be swayed. This was really going to happen. Damon gripped the metalwork of the bower, his wrists cupped to it above his head. He was going to be pleasured for a Veritian audience. He was probably just one of a dozen discreet entertainments that would unfold in this garden Ansel so, the slave ordered to pleasure Damon is guided by Prince Laurent himself and despite everything Damon can do nothing to stop his climax I can't tell you how uncomfortable I am We're just going to let this whole situation percolate for a little bit because I might need a moment. So I'll just go ahead and tell you all about our Patreon. Patrons will enjoy some exclusive perks, such as early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and being named as a way of thanks when they sign up. You can find our page at patreon.com slash hopelesslyromantic. Your support means so much to me and my technical advisor, and I can't wait to keep bringing you all more stories in the future with your help. Hopefully, stories that are a little more lighthearted than this. Ah, well, there's no point in dallying anymore. Let's get back to our mildly stressful drama. There are tense moments between Damon and Laurent, the kind that you would expect in an erotic romance that you would want to lead to spicy moments between these characters. But... Damon and Laurent never knock boots. Sure, Damon does undress Laurent in a few scenes, but again, he's a slave. That's what he's supposed to do. Bathhouses, erotic gardens, public displays of sexual enticements. These are all over the place, but not once do the mains get beyond occasional touches, and those aren't romantic by any stretch of the imagination. Damon does come to appreciate Laurent in his own way. Sort of. He can start to see the shaky ground that the prince has been walking, made all the clearer when he witnesses the power struggle between Laurent and the regent. Things come to a head when the assassination attempt against Laurent fails, thanks to Damon's interference. It's quickly made clear that the aggressors were intending to frame Damon for it, and it would make sense. Damon has been, for the most part, an unruly slave from an enemy kingdom. It would make sense that he would try to kill his new master. In the aftermath, Damon manages to make an escape attempt, goaded on by Laurent. Sadly, he's caught, and the court is still going to try to pin it on him, if not Aculos as a whole. Thankfully, Laurent is still alive and well, and is able to intercede on Damon's behalf. Laurent had even managed to kill the lone surviving assassin to keep him from talking too much. Eventually, Laurent and Damon both agree. Someone is trying to provoke war between Akylos and Ver, and that someone is the regent. He was also likely the one who sent the assassins. To save face, the regent sends Laurent out on a mission to a city in Akalos, right on the Varician border. Damon can see it from a mile away. Once Laurent leaves Verre, his status of Crown Prince of Verre is well and truly gone, and the regent will take power for himself. Damon insists that he joins Laurent on the expedition to help him out, and, incredibly, Laurent agrees. Our story ends with them setting out, uneasy allies facing whatever challenges lay ahead. I'll admit that the ending felt rather abrupt for me, but that's probably because my edition of Captive Prince had a short story tacked on in the end, followed by a snippet from the second book of the series. I was expecting more story based on the pages left in the book, and when I didn't get it, I was maybe a little sour about it. Which now leaves me with a question. What the heck do I do with this? Well... I'm going to start by saying that at least this novel in the trilogy, it is not a romance. The deeper and deeper I got into the novel, I realized that it doesn't exactly fit the purview of this podcast and would have been better suited for my behind the pages feature of what I read outside of hopelessly romantic. It may come to pass in the subsequent novels where Damon and Laurent might actually be able to develop a proper relationship outside of master and unwilling slave, but they are ice cold throughout this entire novel. The only reason this novel ended up in the romance section was probably because of the erotic nature of the way the slavery is portrayed. In both *Achilles* and *Vere*, slaves are meant to be tools of pleasure and service, so we end up with an erotic novel without any of the romantic aspects. I think this might be more of a problem with how we categorize book genres than anything else, because I don't think we have anywhere that Captive Prince could go. It's not exactly a thriller, it's not a romance, it's not really a mystery. And I'm not sure if it could fit into the general fiction category that you'd find in most big boxes. Fantasy is probably the closest thing that I'd stick it in, except it might just be a tad too spicy for the genre. The sexual slavery aspect kind of ruins anywhere else the book could go. Hell, take out the sex slavery, just keep it in general slavery, and could it even fit inside the darker side of YA? And I've been going on and on about context. I am almost certain that this novel needs to be evaluated on the context of its trilogy to see where the story goes and how it ends. But as it stands alone, the theme of non-consensual slavery is just stomach-turning enough to keep me from being completely invested. So with all that said, I think it's time for Heather's final score. Starting with the cover, I'm going to give it a 4 out of 5. There's not much more to say about it than I already have. It establishes our tone and doesn't try too hard. It is minimalist and therefore effective. As for romance, that's a 1 out of 5. Again, not much more to say about it because frankly, there wasn't any romance. And in some ways, that's better than if Damon and Laurent did develop feelings over such a short period of time, especially when there's literal slavery involved. I doubt that there was really any winning scenario here. Had Damon begun to fall in love with Laurent, despite his situation, I probably wouldn't have been happy about that either. In this case, the 1 out of 5 for our romance is not a bad score, it's simply reflecting on the fact that there isn't any romance in this book to speak of, so there's nothing to judge. Drama is stronger, and I'm going to give it a 5 out of 5 to be fair. This isn't a romance, this is a political drama in many ways, with some sex thrown in and Captive Prince knows what it is. This isn't a case of misplaced identity, we just don't have a good section of the bookstore where this could live. Fans of Game of Thrones, fantasy dramas, and the like would probably enjoy this novel. There are some things that we saw coming from a mile away, such as the Regent's attempts to usurp the throne from Laurent, but those are solid tropes, and if it's not broke, don't fix it. Spice is a 1 out of 5. This is both because sexual slavery and rape isn't sexy at all, and because there was no sex or spice between our main characters. That's it. That's the whole score. Now, as I am wont to do when we get a fantasy, I swap out realism for world building because the two tend to, you know, cancel each other out for obvious reasons, and world building is getting a 4 out of 5. Our author did a fantastic job establishing our unfamiliar setting. Damon acted as a sort of audience surrogate as he made comparisons between Ver and Aculos, and he gave us the information we needed to understand this world without being overbearing. It could have been stronger, the score, but I kind of wish that they had done more with the languages, because it is implied that Vere and Oculus both have different languages, but we didn't get to see more of that, so almost, almost, almost perfect. Other than that, this could have been the highest of all of our categories today, and it is keeping my interest to perhaps check out the other books, just not for this podcast. With all that said and done, I am again left with the dilemma of how to really score this novel. I don't think Captive Prince is a bad book. In fact, I enjoyed being challenged and having to examine why I felt the way I did about certain aspects of the book, but we are here for romance, for romantic erotica, and this book, it ain't it. Again, this isn't the author's fault, just the nature of being on the wrong bookshelf to be found by the wrong reader. If you're into haters becoming lovers, you might find this novel intriguing, but I can't say that that's where it's going to go without reading the others. And if you're into fantasy political drama, I'd certainly give this a go if you're okay with the more unpleasant parts of the story. But it's not a romance, and I need to reflect that in my review. For my final score, I'm giving Captive Prince two really uncomfortable plot points out of five. Thank you for joining me, readers and romance seekers, and I hope to see you once again for Hopelessly Romantic. If you like the show, please visit us at hopelesslyromanticpodcast.com. If you have questions or want to recommend to read, please email us at contact at hopelesslyromanticpodcast.com. The show is written and produced by me, Heather Songster. Our technical advisor is Kwang Min Cho. Hopelessly Romantic is an K production, and it doesn't matter what you read, only that it's what you love.